0: Just because. Really, for no other reason than that. Uh, We ought to give him praise just because. Just because. Oh, let's pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, we thank you for just being God and God all by yourself. Heavenly Father, we thank you for redeeming us and setting us free. And we just desire to give you the glory, honor, and praise that you deserve at this time and forevermore. Now, Lord, as we look into your word, we ask that you would teach us what we do not know. Show us what we cannot see. Make us what we are not now. Heavenly Father, grant us eyes to see and hands to behold and hearts to feel wondrous things from your word this very morning. Lord, we ask that you would feed your sheep at this time and this very hour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, If you can grab a copy of God's Word and meet us in the book of Joshua, chapter 24. We're not rehashing a series, we're just wrapping up, kind of tying up some loose ends, amen? Tying up some loose ends. Uh, Joshua 24, we just have two verses uh, to lift up, Uh, won't be before you long this morning. Joshua 24, are you there? Amen. Uh, Let your eyes gaze beginning at verse 14. Joshua 24, starting at 14, uh, the English Standard Version, reads us this. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers serve beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the rivers, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, Uh, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Amen. Uh, I want to talk with you this morning uh, and just simply label the message this. A dynamite decision. Uh, dynamite decision. And with your prayers and amens, um, I would really appreciate it. I feel like I'm losing my voice already, but uh, just ask that God uh, give me the strength to preach. In his book, No Wonder They Call Him Savior, uh, Max Licato writes about a game warden who became very suspicious about the amount of fish that a local fisherman named Sam would catch regularly. Uh, On a good day, all of the other local fishermen uh, would catch and gather only about three, four, sometimes five on a good day uh, fish. But every time Sam went out and would come back in off the lake, he would have a boatload full of fish. Uh, He was so successful that the game warden he had to know the secret of Sam's success. And so he asked Sam, he pulled him to the side, he said, Sam, what, how, do you, how are you doing all of this? Is it your bait? Is it your location? Is it the time in which you go out and go fish? What is the secret? Sam responded, he said, I, I can show you better than I can tell you. And so the next morning, the two meet together on the dock and they take off in Sam's boat. And when they got out into the middle of the lake and they stopped the boat, and the warden sat back to see how the sausage was made. Uh, Sam's approach, it was simple. He reached into his fishing gear and took out a stick of dynamite. (laughs) lit it, threw it into the lake, Boom. As soon as he did, and as soon as the explosion went off, it shook the lake. But right after, dead fish began to rise to the surface. You can imagine the reaction of the game warden. So after he recovers from being stunned by the just the sheer shock and audacity of it all, he begins to yell at Sam. He says, "You can't do this. That's that's illegal. You can go to jail. We're going to throw every law on the books against you. You you get locked up after this." But while he was still speaking, while he was still yelling at Sam, Sam calmly puts down his net, he reaches back into his gear, he grabs another stick of dynamite, lights it, throws it in the game warden's lap, and simply says this, are you gonna talk, are you gonna fish? (laughs) And it's that same kind of dynamite decision Which the children of Israel are faced with in our text. Brothers and sisters, that same decision does not stop with Israel back then. It also, the burden of it all still spans and reaches us here today. Uh, The central question of of the text is, is this. It lands in our laps and it's this. Are you going to serve the Lord your God or not? Are you going to serve the Lord your God or not? Uh, when the passage opens, it's, it's really a courtroom scene. And Joshua, he had faithfully led Israel all these years. And he had uh, led them from the wilderness to the promised land. And he was on his way from, from labor to refreshment. He was getting ready to go to glory and meet the Lord face to face. But before he does, he makes a final appeal. Um, a, a closing Court case, and with his last breath, the man of God brings the children of God face to face with the the, the glory of God. He says, based on all the overwhelming evidence of how God has been working it all out in your life, because of the amazing grace of God, you must serve the Lord your God. In verses 1 through 13, Joshua recounts this blessed history and he highlights what one old preacher said is the benevolent beneficence of God. In other words, David would simply say, he would look at this case, he would say, your cup runneth over. That, That grace had run over. Mercy in your life has run over. That goodness has followed you all the days of your life. And brothers and sisters, when you look back over your life, uh, you ought to be able to testify that there has been a God who has kept you, who has blessed you, who has helped you, who has watched over you. The Bible says he has watched over your comings and your goings. He has slain giants for you. He has moved mountains for you. He has made the impossible possible just for you. And the Bible goes on. It says, saints, that he has loved you. And that's very interesting, beloved. Y'all here. Y'all look good. You might smell good. I don't know. But but you're here and... uh, if we honest, we're just not that lovable. Uh, we stiff necked people. Uh, we we hard headed people. Uh, we we're not always obedient children. But see, the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, God came down from heaven to earth as a child so that the children of men can go to heaven as children of God. Jesus, come. To rescue some rebellious, wayward people. So that's His grace. And it ought to be evident in your life. That you ought to just be able to look back over your shoulder. And not go that very that far, but I mean, you drove here today. He, uh, he kept you. John Stott put it this way. I like how he says, he says... God does not love us because Christ died for us. Christ died for us because God loves us. Amen. And the order is very important. See, see, God ain't wait for us to get right, to make us right. He made us right so that we would be right. Amen. Joshua's logic and his, his logic is, is, is impeccable. He, he just says, based on what God has done. If, if God has put you first, then you ought to put God first. If God has been true to you, then you ought to be true to Him. And, and all He asks is for you to serve Him. That, that, that's all. In Jesus, he, he transforms that. Uh, in, in, in Matthew and Mark and Luke as well, he says this, I came not to be served, but to serve. Yes. My Lord, I mean, if Jesus Christ, the visible image of the invisible God, came to not be served, but to serve us, then we ought to want to serve him. Yes. Paul says it's our reasonable worship. I mean, it's the very least that we can do. Based on his mercies, we ought to render our lives for the Lord, our God. Are y'all still in here with me? Yes. But see, the interesting thing, church, and y'all know this, y'all been in church. The, the, the interesting thing is this. You would think that once just we recount the wonderful salvation that we've experienced. Uh, that God had brought us out and brought us in. Uh, that That revival would just be automatic. That, that, that giving in the church would be at an all-time high. Uh, that that uh, uh, ministries and fellowship, that, that church membership would just be bursting at the seams. That our ministries would be growing 30, 60, and, and even a hundredfold. That all because people had been saved, you would think that all would serve. My brothers and sisters, it is not the case. Sadly. And and see, Joshua knows all this, and that's why he must call for a verdict. Y'all remember back when you were in school, uh, you were sitting in the class, but the teacher would pull out that roster, and they would go through name by name. Because you can be present, but they still must call the roll. (laughs) <laughs> Being present ain't, ain't mean that you're going to do something. They're going to call the road. That, that way you, 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 you let them know that you are there. And Joshua says, I'm going to call the road. And, and see, he's calling for a resolution of all resolutions. One in which all eternity hangs. He says, will you serve God or will you not? See, you're going to serve a God. He just wants us to serve the Lord, our God. And you might be here and you may be wondering, well, how do we serve the Lord? What does it look like to serve the Lord? How do I know if I'm giving God my total commitment? I'm glad you asked. Y'all ask good questions and y'all are a good audience. And it's here, Joshua, in, in these short verses, Joshua specifies for us the manner in which we must serve the Lord. Now he provides for us four blessed characteristics and I'll walk you through them as quickly as I can. First. The text teaches us that if we're going to serve the Lord our God, we must do so reverently. Don't miss that, reverently. Not, not casually, not uh, flippantly, but with reverence. Verse 14 begins, Now therefore fear the Lord. Quick question for you, beloved, what do you fear? I know, I know, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Y'all so spiritual. (laughs) But if we're just being honest for a moment, all of us as children of God at one point or another, no matter how big your Bible is, no matter how big the cross is around your neck, the children of God at one point or another in your life will experience fear. There are many fears that we, we face and they compete. They seem to compete, especially in my life, on a day-to-day basis. Uh, they could be fears of health. Uh, they could be financial fears. Uh, they could be fear of failure. They could be uh, fear of the future. But see, what I like about this first exhortation in the reference of God, it is as if Joshua moves us uh, from... Away from what we fear to whom we fear. The Lord. Uh, He says, don't fear all these things, just fear Him. point is this. When you fear the Lord, you have nothing else in this world to fear. And see, when we obey this command to fear the Lord, God... Turns around, my mother-in-law gave this to me, I'll give her some credit. God turns around and gives us a second commandment and says, fear not. (laughs) When we obey the command to fear the Lord, God turns around and blesses us and he says, fear not. Uh, Scholars and theologians tell us that there's about 365 instances of that, that phrase, fear not. And really, it suggests for us this morning, church, that there's one for each and every day that we live. Psalm 27, David says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Uh, David feared the Lord, and yet in the text, he says, Whom shall I fear? Why? Because he had the fear of the Lord. When we fear God, we fear nothing else. So Joshua tells us whom we're to fear, but also notice the order of when we're to fear. Uh, before we reach that blessed uh, implication of serving the Lord, we're first given a divine command to fear the Lord. And I think what's happening is Joshua is trying to underscore uh, the secret to faithfully serving the Lord isn't in our good ideas or good intentions or heroic efforts. Instead, that fear of the Lord is the key which enables us to serve the Lord. Yes. Yes. I figured I might not get that many witnesses, so I brought my own. Uh, Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen says this. It says, Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Job 28.28 28 says, the fear of the Lord is true wisdom. To forsake evil is real understanding. For our verse 1.7, y'all know Solomon says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The, the penitent thief on the cross, y'all remember him, Luke 23.40, he, he's speaking to the other uh, thief on the other side and he rebukes him. He says, do you not fear God? And brothers and sisters, this very, very same searching question must come to us this morning. Do you fear God? Do you fear God? We often want to serve God, but I think sometimes we skip that first step, that first base. We want to get to home plate, but, but fear of the Lord is first base. And so what happens is our service starts to wane because of the fact that we're not fearing God. It seems to be the foundation. A.W. Tozer puts it well. He says, no one can know the true grace of God who has not first known the fear of God. No one can know the true grace of God who has not first known the fear of God. Newton said it well as well he said twas grace that taught my heart to fear but what is the fear of the lord what actually is it if it's so important we ought to know what it is most commentators put it this way they call it a profound and awesome reverence for god if you got to study Bible, if you looked it up really quickly, that's probably what it's going to say. And I think that that's well uh, written and it's well good intention. It's a simplistic form, but I don't know if it does it all justice. Uh, see, I don't know about you, but that doesn't really connect with me. <laughs> we're, we're not people who live in a day and age of reverence. And so when you say it's a profound reverence, if I don't reference anything, having a profound reverence is really not doing anything. And so, so let us just talk to a, a prophet. His name is Isaiah, just for a moment. Isaiah, if we called him up, he would say, man, I could show you better than I can tell you. <laughs> uh, Isaiah in chapter 6, he he. the prophet is ushered into the throne room of the Lord God. And it's interesting because the Bible tells us what he saw. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. He was high... <laughs> And he was lifted up. And he says this. He says, in the train of his robe filled the temple. I don't know if you have a robe at your home, but my robe don't even touch the ground. I'm not that tall. But still, it don't touch the ground. God's robe fills the whole temple. He saw God high and lifted up. In other words, church, what he's trying to tell us is God is not a game or a joke to be played with. God is not just sitting on a lazy boy. But he's on a throne. He's reigning and he's ruling and best of all, he's living. He has authority. He has all majesty. He has power. He's seated. He's he's not moved. But then it also tells us, Isaiah goes on, it tells us what he said. Isaiah just was in the presence. He saw the the, the cherubim and seraphim and they, they were crying out. They just had one song. We got multiple songs in our choir. They had one song. But Isaiah, he says this. He says, woe is me. That's the first thing he said. The reverence was so powerful that he said, woe is me. He says, I'm I'm unclean. I'm undone. And he says, not only that, not only am I, Lord, I dwell amongst the whole people. My mom, my dad, my brothers, my sisters, all these folk in the church, they're unclean too. All of them. You can't hang out with Isaiah. (laughs) Then he says, my eyes have seen the king. He was so awestruck by the reverence of God that he immediately, and no one asked him to, he confessed his sin. Not only his sin, he confessed everybody's sin. And and then the the last thing, what what happened was in this encounter, in this reverence, we're told what he did. Uh, The Lord had the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost had a a meeting. They had a church meeting together, and they just simply asked, Whom shall go for us? Who, Who shall we send? Isaiah said, Lord, send me. Lord, I'll go. Wherever you send me, Lord, I'll go. He, he hadn't even known what the task was, and he still said, I'm still going to go. You don't need to look no further. And see, I, I think the point is this. Before he began to serve the Lord, he had first fear of the Lord. Let me offer this quick definition, and we're going to move on. The fear of the Lord is the right knowledge of God, which motivates us to, one, flee from sin, and two, hasten to do his will. It should cause us, that reverence ought to cause us to flee from sin, break from it, but then do good. Follow his will. So you must ask yourself, as we're trying to serve the Lord here in 2023, do you have the fear of the Lord. So that's our first point, we're to serve God reverently. But secondly, the text teaches us that if we're going to serve the Lord, we must also do so exclusively. The text continues on, it says, fear the Lord and serve him. Joshua uses that word serve about seven times in these two verses alone. And that demonstrates for us, church, that the the principal matter isn't really about our commitment to thinking about the Lord or uh, giving to the Lord or calling upon the name of the Lord or even leaning more on the dependence of the Lord. But all these are good and we ought to all do them. But but that's not what Joshua is dealing with. His, His focus is rather, are you going to serve... The Lord. Serve. Uh, Notice they don't say volunteer. Uh, See, church, God knows no volunteers. He only knows servants. Uh, If God don't name it, God don't count it. Servants. See, for really a volunteer, it's whatever is acceptable. Uh, you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, and for how long you just want to do it. But see, servants is it's different. You're you're under obligation. Amen. Paul says, "I'm obligated to preach the gospel," Amen. and beloved, you're under obligation too. Come on now. You're you're under obligation to serve the Lord with an unreserved, exclusive commitment. Him. The Lord must have preeminence and priority in our lives. And if we're exclusively serving him, then by implication, brothers and sisters, that just means that the world don't revolve around you and me. I know that's I know that's a little difficult. I I know it is. Joshua is not—he's not saying what we often say is put God first, put your family second, put your children third, or whatever the order you you want to do it. That—that's not what he's saying. He's saying the Lord is the most important thing in your life. Not that again, family, children, education, work, all that good stuff. Not that it's—it's it's bad, but these. We must steward, not serve. Amen? We're, these are gifts. They're not the giver of the gifts. Somebody need to talk to Job real quick. Job, call, call him up. Job and say, God gives. Blessed be his name. These are gifts, not the giver of the gifts. Paul says, Him we proclaim. In Him we live, move, and have our being. Paul said, at the end of it all, he said, oh, that I might know Him. Beloved, it's, it's Him. It's the Lord. And, and see, the interesting thing, when we rightly serve the Lord exclusively, what happens is, it begins to spill over, and we begin serving others. When you're... Uh, commitment to God uh, uh, when you have a commitment to God it begins to shape every other aspect of your life into conformity to the will of God so what happens is when I serve him I'll serve my wife That's right. when I serve him I'll serve my children when I serve him I'll serve the church when I serve him I'll serve my community when I serve him I'll serve every aspect of my life but if I'm not serving anybody I cannot then therefore claim I'm serving him. Uh, You see how it doesn't match. When you serve God, you'll serve others. When you're not serving God, you'll serve no one but yourself. God will put up with many things, beloved. Uh, Many things in our life, but one thing he won't put up with is second place. John Ruskin puts it this way. He who offers God second place offers him no place. Then in the text, something interesting happens. And this ought to strike your mind because it did mine. It had me up last night. Joshua says this. He says, serve him in sincerity and in truth. But note the next line. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And try to explain this when I was in Kentucky just a few weeks back um, and you got to remember in, in the south in Kentucky people talk to you they don't got to know you wherever you at people want to talk to you and I've been in the DC area so long that I forgot that But I'm in Walgreens, I'm in Walgreens, it's very early in the morning, I'm not a morning person, but I'm in Kentucky, it's Walgreens, and and there's a gentleman in the same aisle as me, and he he asks a question, he says, hey, how you doing, I just look, and I'm suspicious now, (laughs) what's wrong with you, man, and so then I said, oh, I'm in Kentucky, I'm sorry, let me, talk to this brother and so it took me a minute and so I said oh I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty well what, what about yourself and uh, it, it, it took him a minute and, and he's slowly he, he turns and he looks at me we make eye contact and he slowly just says this. he says well I'm hanging in there like a, like a hair on a biscuit Laugh, man. I said, Man, that's that's actually disgusting, though, you know. <laughs> hair on a biscuit. <laughs> Again, it's early, you know. I said, This this brother's a comedian. <laughs> but see, Joshua knew that the children of God were hanging on to old idols like a hair on a biscuit. That's right. That's right. That's it. That's it. <laughs> and he, here's the warning for us, church. Israel's problem was not that they did not have the right God. That, that's not it. Israel's problem and subsequently oftentimes our problem is that we have the right God but we try to serve the right God in the wrong ways. We're trying to serve God while clinging to some sin and some idols in the past. Uh, this... this ought to be deeply humbling to us because, think about this, in spite of all of the instances of intervention and grace in their lives, they they had been worshiping God. They they had not built a golden calf. They had not gone astray like the other generation. They had been uh, living in a way that seemed on the surface pleasing to God. They weren't flippant. They weren't flagrant with idolatry. But still, the text... It reveals something deeper that their hearts were not completely and utterly and totally given unto God. They had served God. But they had not served God exclusively. And brothers and sisters, that's, that's really a problem with you and me today, isn't it? Amen. Amen. Joshua gives the remedy. He says, beloved, put those things away. And and put away, it literally means to depart from or to veer off or begin to change directions. And that's what the word repentance comes from as well. It means to do a turnabout. It means you're going one way and you need to begin starting to go another way. You you need to part with your sin and not allow it to contact you again. Joshua says, put those things away. Uh way Jesus says no man can serve two masters and yet God's people were still trying to serve two masters. But it was undercover. Consider the words of the Lord Jesus when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness those 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, he was hungry. He was weary. He was scorched. His mouth was dry, and he 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 didn't look like much. And Satan tempts him three times. The last one, uh, he was tempted by Satan. The Bible says uh, Satan took him to uh, a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the earth in their glory. And Satan says to him, "Well, if I, I I'll, I'll give all these to you, just just fall down and worship me." Jesus says, He says. Be gone, Satan. But then he follows that up with, For it is written. He reaches back to the scriptures. The the living word grabs the written word. He says, It is written, You shall not worship anything but the Lord, your God and Him only shall you serve. Jesus was in a crisis moment. And still Jesus held fast To the exclusivity of worship. And brothers and sisters you and me ought to do the same. And in Christ he can enable us to put away those things that are not pleasing to him. And serve him in spirit and in truth. Brothers and sisters if God is to be served at all. He must be served alone. One theologian put it this way. The world and you must part or you and Christ can never meet. So we must serve the Lord reverently. We must serve the Lord exclusively. But thirdly, if we're to serve the Lord, we must do so personally. In 15, it says, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. And then Joshua in the B part of that same verse says this, but as for me. (laughs) And brothers and sisters, he's just simply saying the choice is yours. No one else can make this choice for you. The die must be cast from your own lips. And see, it's popular these days, especially for millennials. We we um, uh, for a multitude of reasons. Economy is just a little bit worse than when y'all were growing up, and y'all used up all the Social Security, Medicaid, and all that good stuff, and we're paying for it. But anyways, that's a whole nother topic. That's a whole nother topic. So millennials, I'll I'll bail y'all out real quick. Um, Millennials are often on their parents' uh, phone, cell phone plans and things of that nature. And just to make the cost a little bit cheaper, there ain't no cell phone plan for this. You can't be on your mama's faith. You can't be on your grandmama's faith. I'm glad that they had faith. You must commit your life to Christ. He says, choose this day whom you will serve. You must choose yourself. What are you going to do? The Bible tells us to work out our own salvation in fear and in trembling. And while you figure out what you're going to do, I like what Joshua says. He says, but as for me, (laughs) I don't know what y'all are going to do. Y'all do what y'all want to do. I'm I'm resolute in my decision. He makes a decision before everybody else made a decision. His mind was already made up. He had weighed and counted the cost. He says, God is worthy to be praised and served whatever the circumstances might come. He says, I'm sticking with Jesus. Uh, When Jesus had been teaching and the crowds had left him, he he, uh, spoke about a kind of a difficult doctrine and metaphor. Um, but the, the, the crowds just dispersed and all that was left was his disciples. And Jesus looked back and says, he says, y'all want to leave too? And Peter, y'all know Peter. He, he declared, he says, Lord, where are we going to go? He says, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. In other words, saints, there is no better alternative. Where are you going to go? Who else are you going to serve? No one but Jesus. Joshua chooses for himself, but notice also he says, I'm going to choose for my house. I don't know what my children are going to do when they leave the house. But while they're in the house, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Once they get out of my house, they can do whatever they want. But when they're in the house, there's going to be some covering. Uh, There's going to be some true religion. Uh, There's going to be some gospel preached might not always come from me. It's probably my wife. She does a lot of it, but it might be my mother-in-law. Somebody, they're going to hear the gospel. They're going to learn to pray. Because it's for me and my house. There's a responsibility, brothers and sisters, at least in your house. I wish that all would come to Christ. I, I wish the whole world would come. But I got a responsibility in my house. One theologian, uh, Soren Kierkegaard, he wrote in his uh, diary, he said this. He says, the worst thing for a child isn't that they should have a free thinker as a father or someone who doesn't believe in God or uh, is utterly opposed to the message of the gospel. He says, no, the greatest tragedy a child could ever have is to have a father who professed that they trusted in the Lord, but whose life betrayed the fact. That they did not trust God one inch. Joshua would not set his family to any work that he himself would not set his own hands to. And see, we ought to raise our children in the admonition of the Lord. But but as Spurgeon says, you ought to make sure that you go that way yourself. Uh, Don't send them somewhere and you end up somewhere else. But go that way yourself. I like what Rahab does. She, she, she is saved. And new, no sooner than Rahab is saved. And Joshua too. y'all remember her. She, as soon as Rahab is saved, she says, Okay, go get my mom, my dad, my brothers, my sisters, their children's children. Bring them in the house. Brothers and sisters, there ought to be an ark of safety and covering in your house. As for me and my." House. We must serve the Lord reverently, exclusively, personally, and finally, saints. If we're to serve the Lord, our God, together, we must do so immediately. On Sunday, October 8th, 1871, at around 9 p.m. Central Standard Time, the Great Chicago Fire had sprung up and began to move rapidly throughout the city. After it was all over, the fire ultimately claimed the lives of about a hundred—I'm sorry, three hundred—people and destroyed the majority of the city. Uh, the fire had greatly impacted the life and the ministry of uh, evangelist D.L. Moody. Moody's church was destroyed, and his family's home was destroyed, and many homes of those within his congregation. But there was something more disturbing in, in all this. In Moody's life and church. That Sunday, they held their usual Sunday evening service, and then the fire broke out. But see, this particular Sunday on the close when it ended, Dio Moody asked his congregation to consider and evaluate and think about their relationship with Christ. Then he said, how about this? Next week, when you return, then come and make a decision. This, he thought, would give people time to, to weigh the matter, to really search the matter and research the matter and settle the matter and, and to come with a fervent faith. I mean, it, was, it wasn't a bad idea. It was, it was well-intentioned and it sounded reasonable. But, but while the singing of the closing hymn began, The sounds of the choir drowned out from the alarms and the ringing of the church bells and the fire trucks going around the city. Within a matter of hours, many of those who sat in his congregation in the pews as I look out before you this day had perished. There was never another time, there was never another next week. But he says this, he says, I have never since dared, Moody said, to give an audience a week to think about their salvation. If they were lost, they might raise up in judgment against me. I will never meet these people again until I meet them in another world. But I tell you, I've learned one lesson and one lesson only from that night. And that is this, when I preached To press Christ upon people then and there. And to try to bring them to a decision on the spot. Joshua knows the peril of delay. He calls for immediate decisions. He says, no, choose this day. Not next week. Not next month. Not next year. Not even tomorrow, but this day. Translation, right now. <laughs> uh, one might be here and you might be thinking, well, I followed Jesus at an early age. I was baptized at the church and name is somewhere in the church and my father was a deacon or what not. The, the tense of this particular text, choose this day, means a, a continuous choosing. It means that, that Joshua said, I'm, I'm, I've chosen Christ yesterday, and I'm, I'm going to choose him today, and I'm actually going to choose him tomorrow. Amen. And see, brothers and sisters, I'm glad that you had professed faith yesterday. I'm glad about it. But you must choose this day. Yes. Yes. This virgin says this, he says, the great mischief of, the great mischief of most men is that they procrastinate. It is not that they resolve to be damned, but they resolve to be saved tomorrow. It is not that they reject Christ forever. They just reject Christ today. And let me talk to somebody just briefly, if you're here in the sanctuary or you're, you're online or what have you. if You have not surrendered your life to Christ. Uh, you have not served him one inch. And you're still, you, you think that you have time and you think that um, uh, there, there's an opportunity. You think that you might wait until the right song hits or the right verse hits. Let me, let me talk to you just real quick. Don't delay. See, God is patient with you so much so that he, he's waiting until all come and reach the point of re- repentance. Repentance. God does not slacken His promises. But, but God desires that all would come and repent. Yes, yes. But that is not to be presumed upon. The Bible says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's some good news for the saints, isn't it? There, there is no condemnation. That, that the penalty has been paid... And, and the, the punishment has been uh, taken care of... And the promise of everlasting life is ours. But see, if you're not in Christ... There is therefore condemnation today. There is the wrath of God that you are faced with today. See, you got problems with God today. You ain't got to worry about tomorrow. <laughs> if God is mad at you today... He could deal with it today. If you perish today, you will drop into perdition today. And you will meet a whole bunch of folk who've been in church services and they will still have their suits on. They'll still have their nice blouses on. They might have still their mask on. And they would say, man, wow, you heard the same message too, huh? I, I thought I would repent tomorrow. No, today. Thanks be to God in Christ. That, that's the judgment, but, but the blessing is simply this, that, that there is hope for you today. With the help of the Holy Spirit, church, our passage, it begs us, confronts us, and invites us to choose Christ today. Let tomorrow worry about tomorrow. Let's take care of today. Because of Jesus, we can all be forgiven today. If you just simply place your faith and your trust in him right now, you will experience pardon, joy, and satisfaction today and forevermore. David said, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord, not just today, but forever. If you're going to dwell forever, you need to live forever. Uh, perhaps you're here, and that's not your problem. You, you're you're not thinking about delay and, and problems like that, and, and that's that's cool. But perhaps you you want to presume that that's your thing, not procrastination, but but presuming upon his grace. You you reference and you because you know the little you know the Bible, you've heard it enough times, and you point to the thief on the cross and you say, Hey, look, man, this brother got in on the last moment. I think I could do that too. Okay, that's cool. Let me just warn you. I'm going to take my seat. The thief on the cross repented and was pardoned in the last hour of his life. Amen? Amen. We have one such instance in all of Scripture. So that none might despair. That we all have hope. But believe me, church, there is only one instance of the thief on the cross getting in with his last breath that none might presume. You can't repent too soon because you don't know how soon it'll be too late. One thief, one story for hope, not presumption. Trust in Christ. Beloved, those of us who have trusted in Christ, commit your total devotion to Christ. Throw off everything else. Uh, Put off the idols. No more restraint, no more reservation. Give God in Christ your all. He's worthy. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for your word in this time. We ask that you would use it and bless it, and uh, we ask that you would just uh, be with your people in a very mighty and special way. Lord, if there is anybody delaying, we ask that you would, by your spirit, move upon their lives, oh Heavenly Father. We pray that you would uh, bring them to the point of salvation, and they would say, what must I do to be saved? Heavenly Father, we pray that through uh, the ministry of your word and the ministry of us here at the Oakland Baptist Church,